my name is Jeff Forrester. I am serving here as one of the elders, and it's my privilege and pleasure to be able to speak with you from God's Word this morning. While Ryan and Brianna are at a refresh conference with the EFCA, that's Pastors and Wives Retreat, so uh, we look forward to having them back, um, but they are enjoying the weekend away. So what I'd like to speak with you about this morning is dependence. What goes through your mind when you hear the word dependence? If you're like me, you think burden, high maintenance, needy, ugh, not good. makes me think of a scene from a movie called What About Bob? Has anybody seen that? Yeah. In the film, Bill Murray plays a character by the name of Bob Wiley, a multiphobic personality being treated by a psychologist, Dr. Leo Marvin, played by Richard Dreyfuss. Dr. Marvin has gone on vacation with his family, thinking he left his work and his highly dependent patient, Bob, back at the office. By some amateur detective work, Bob has located Dr. Marvin, and upon finding him, begins pleading with him. Check it out. Look, I'm really in bad shape. Come on, please, please, give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. Give me, give me, please, please. All right, all right, all right. Dr. Marvin finally relents. And uh, if you see the movie, you know all goes south from there. So on first glance, when I hear the word dependence... That's what conjures up in my mind. But maybe, maybe when you hear the word dependence, you think tax deductions. Well, whatever you're thinking and wherever your thoughts go, it's probably not running toward the idea of becoming intentionally more dependent as a person. As children, most of us move toward independence Choosing our own clothes, wanting our own bedroom, getting a driver's license eventually so we don't have to need a ride, moving out of the house so we can do things our way, and perfecting the phrase somewhere along the way, you're not the boss of me, becoming independent. As early as toddler years, we hear voices crying out, I do it myself, wanting to put on our own shoes and shirt, even if that meant on the wrong feet and inside out and backwards. The point was we didn't want help. American culture points back to our beginning as a fiercely independent people. We desire self-governance and for no one to tell us what to do. That desire for self-rule has been felt and seen for decades, even centuries, enshrined in our Constitution. Each year, we herald this quality of ours by gathering together in July to eat freshly charred meat hot off the grill, blow stuff up, and we call it, wait for it, Independence Day, yeah, yeah. Despite our desires, however, we are quite dependent by nature. We are dependent upon sleep. Eight hours a day, one-third of our day, if you think about it, one-third of our life we could spend in that semi-conscious state, approximately 25 years of sleeping for the average person. We are dependent on food. Some of us get cranky if we hadn't eaten in a few hours. Fasting for more than one day is relatively uncommon. 
You might be able to go a few days, but energy gets drained and thinking becomes clouded. We are dependent on food. We're also dependent upon water. A day without water and dehydration begins. Air, we're dependent on. A couple of minutes and you're in trouble. Gravity, you ever thought about that? We are dependent on gravity for walking, for driving, for sitting even. You're all benefiting right now from gravity. You're welcome for my part. <laughs> we are dependent upon our need for the sun and the four seasons for many reasons. A child in the womb is dependent where we all began, clinging to the body of its mother, dependent in every way. Where I go, you go. What you feed on, I feed on. Your stress is my stress. Your joy is my joy, connected at the deepest levels. Kids are dependent upon their parents. And all of us are dependent on one another and upon God for relationship. We are dependent by nature. That's how we were made. At the core of our created nature, we are dependent beings full of need. At the core of our sinful nature, we long to be independent beings, dependent on no one. Beginning in the Garden of Eden, we chose to go our own way, and the result has been since catastrophic. We need to return to a healthy dependence upon the Lord. So I broke the rest of the sermon into three parts, and uh, with the preacher's playbook, it's a secret little document. Uh, if you ask Ryan about it, he'll, when he comes back, he'll say it doesn't exist, but uh, we know better. Um, it demands alliteration, so I broke it into three parts. Uh, the first being delineation, the only D word I can make sense of that uh, could get me to the place where we were simply looking at Scripture, delineating what's there. And then um, from there, we go to uh, diagnosis, where we're looking at our reflecting on ourselves and where we're at currently. And then finally, go, we go to, to, to determination. That's where we're headed. So we'll start here with delineation. And God gives us a picture of dependence, dependence on him specifically in the book of 1 Kings. We see Elijah, the prophet, completely dependent upon the Lord after pronouncing a judgment on the king Ahab. And we read in 1 Kings 17, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, oh, a little side note, um, the, uh, the hairstyle that I'm uh, sporting right now, Classic tish bite, right? <laughs> Minus the beard, of course. I'm pretty sure about that. He was one of the settlers of Gilead. And to Ahab, he said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall certainly be neither dew nor rain during these years, except by my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Go away from there and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith which is east of the Jordan. And it shall be that you will drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide food for you there. So he went and did everything according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Now, just a little reference point. Ahab was no good guy. He was one of the worst kings of Israel. He was married to Jezebel, and Jezebel was probably the better half of that arrangement. That gives you an idea. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. 
He would drink from the book. He would drink from the brook. But it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. He had predicted. Elijah needed safe passage and safe harbor away from Ahab, as well as food and drink. He was dependent upon the Lord, the God of Israel, and God supplied what he was lacking. Then the brook dried up. Circumstances for him changed, and need for his dependence grew. Elijah's dependence was on the Lord, not on his own resources. He had need, and he was dependent upon God to come through. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide food for you. While I'm not going to go through the entire story with you and and give you the rest, um, you can go to 1 Kings 17 for that. I will tell you that God miraculously provided for both Elijah and the widow and her son from resources that were far far too little to sustain them without God's supernatural intervention. We fast forward then from Kings to the time of Jesus and his disciples. I want you to listen to this passage that I'm going to read you from Matthew chapter 6. And as you do, I just want you to listen to what the message here that God is communicating about dependence and about relationship with him. It says, for this reason I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is, not, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They did not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry. Then saying, what are we to eat? Or what are we to drink? Or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Did you hear the message there? That he, that God can be depended on, that he loves us, that he cares for us. God knows all that we need, just as he did for Elijah for the widow, her son. He knew their needs. He provided for them. He says not to worry. He's telling us we have no need to think that we're on our own. No need to fend for ourselves and no need to take actions 
that would or might compromise our relationship with God in a vain and solitary effort to satisfy our own needs or prepare for something we think we need or to secure something we think we should have. Another passage is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And in this passage, Paul described himself before the part we're going to read. He described himself as having received visions from Jesus. And then he goes on to say in this next passage, because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. There has been much ink spilled over and debate about what this thorn in the flesh was. I'm not going to go over the different options with you. Um, Great scholars are not in complete agreement here. But it was something that tormented him and something that kept him possibly from becoming more independent and being and having a need to be more dependent upon the Lord. He asked for it to be taken away. He didn't want it. But was it good? And he has said to me, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, Paul says, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It sounds counterintuitive. For when I am weak, when I am needy, when I am relying on the power of Jesus, then I am strong. I'm strong because the power is not mine. There is no storm or quaking of the earth that can disrupt God's power. When I am dependent upon God and not relying upon my own power, my own plans, my own strength, all of those things to pull me through, Then I am strong, Paul says. My power will falter. My plans will fail. My strength will weaken. Dependency on God strengthens me rather than weakens me. And that glorifies God as it becomes clear that He is at work within me. He is accomplishing things. Do you remember John the Baptist saying about Jesus? He must increase, I must decrease. The second section, moving to diagnosis. This is an opportunity for you to reflect. Reflect upon yourself. Where are you in dependency upon God? What might, first I want to look at what might independence look like. And what I'm about to share with you at the moment here 
are not facts. They're not specifically scripture references. And, and therefore, what I'm going to say is open to discussion and reasoning with one another, maybe in a discipling group, maybe with other friends. The question I ask is, does any of the following resonate with you? Does it sound or feel familiar in some way? An attitude of independence may sound like, I'm the go-to person to get things done. I can count on me. I'd like it to be different, but unfortunately, other people are just not very reliable 100% of the time. If I don't do it, it's probably not going to happen. If it does get done, I might have been able to do it better myself. I like helping others, but truth be told, I'm uncomfortable receiving help. I like my ducks in a row, and if they're out of order, I get them where they need to go. Actions of independence may look or sound like, when there's a problem, I fix it. When someone around me has a problem, I'm quick to offer a solution to them as well. I work hard to provide for myself and those I care about. I rest when I've exhausted my energy. I often just need to power through, make it happen. I feel I need to get more accomplished. If I get more done, I believe that life will be better. Just one more task, just one more hour, just one more project, just one more day, my success is up to me. The thinking here might be that God loves a hard worker. I'm working, for, I'm working hard and working hard for the Lord. I want to hear him say, well done and good, good and faithful servant. While that sounds okay, I'm not sure that that sounds like dependence. I don't think that sounds like faith. It sounds like it's possible that we could desire to use God as some sort of a flywheel, a really powerful flywheel. And I don't think God is up for that. He desires from us a willing heart. He tells us that. And he's already got a strong arm able to affect results and accomplish many things. I hear quoted, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Is that a call to work hard, to burn the midnight oil? Or is that a call toward dependence? There's a rich landowner that Jesus spoke of in Luke chapter 12. His wealth was so great, he decided to construct new barns just to contain it all. Most telling about him was not his wealth, but his attitude. Luke 12 reads, And I will say to myself, You have many goods stored up for many years to come. Relax, eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is demanded of you. And as for all that you have prepared, who will own it now? Such is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich in relation to God. Where is your dependence? 
Is it backstopped by wealth? Is it going from one pleasure cruise to the next, one night out after another? Relax, eat, drink, enjoy yourself. Is there anything wrong with taking a vacation? Nope, I don't think so. A night out on the town? Nope. But what we have here is, in fact, dependence. Yes, the rich landowner sought independence and thought he possessed it, most likely. What he actually had was a life backstopped by wealth. He literally didn't need God for his daily bread. In fact, his bread does not appear to be getting shared with anyone else. He may believe he is rich, but in fact, that man was poor, wretched and naked, and in the worst kind of poverty. Take away his storehouses full of wealth, and you would likely find a much different man than first appeared. So what then? Is this idea of independence actually a fraud? We can move to a different object of dependence. And in that example, that rich man, probably seeking independence, simply made wealth his area of dependence. We can move to a different object of dependence, but in the end, we are dependent people. God has made this abundantly clear through his creation of the natural world. We sleep because we must. We eat because we must. We drink because we must. We breathe because we must. And we don't change our nature by denying it. The same can be said of faith. All people have faith, but the object of our faith may be in God. It may be in a false religion. It may be in another person. It may be in wealth, ability, or something else. Maybe we can say dependence is simply faith with flesh on it. That dependence, that dependence is the footsteps of faith, the actions that follow from a true faith. Let me give you another attempt at independence. King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, it was Daniel, if you remember him, who served under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And the king had big dreams, and Daniel helped get it all sorted, appropriately enough, by Daniel declaring his dependence on God and the lack of his own ability to interpret dreams. Daniel told the king that he didn't have an interpretation to offer but that the God he serves can interpret the dreams of the king. Daniel didn't exalt himself, but he gave all credit to God. King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't share the same heart attitude, however. And in Daniel uh, chapter 4, 29 and 30, we read, speaking about the king, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king began speaking and was saying, is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power for the honor of my majesty? Can you hear how high his chin is lifted up? Independence achieved, or so he thought. 
the story for Nebuchadnezzar goes on, and God humbles him greatly, sending him out like a beast in the field and reducing him from him from his great position of arrogance. Now, what does that have to do with us? We may not be rich landowners. We may not be the king of Babylon. I don't believe you need a palace or a panoramic view of great wealth. It can be as simple as looking at your own 401k or your weekly budget or your wallet or your dwelling place or the status of your kids and loved ones. If you find comfort there in any of those places, if when all is well there, you are able to breathe easy and to rest, then that, wherever that is for you, may be one place of some dependence. It's not a sin to have wealth, but it is a sin for wealth to have you. God commands us to provide for our family and to share what we have earned with those around us. It is even good to have something to pass along to the next generation. However, wealth can become a source of pride. Look at what I was able to accomplish with hard work and good decision-making. Maybe you go so far as to think, if people don't have what they need, it's likely they're just lazy, maybe foolish. When wealth becomes a source of satisfaction or comfort, if we rely on it to breathe easy, rely on it for a sense of peace that all is well, then we've just identified an area of dependence in competition with the Lord. The one who said, I will have no other gods before me. Does it matter whether the market or your funds or your wallets up or down? Does that impact how you feel? Does that impact you? That might be an area of dependence. Where is your dependence? What are you counting on? How to tell? Well, one tell might be a test of your sense of security. When something you consider a staple in your life is unstable, what do your emotions tell you about what you value, what you depend upon? In reference to that area, are there steps that you might take that would compromise your relationship with God to ensure your security? When circumstances seem too much, disappointment, frustration, failure, disillusionment, where do you turn? Figuratively, but also literally, where do you turn? Where do you go? Where you turn may identify to whom or to what you are dependent. When a quiet moment arrives at a stoplight, at a checkout line, what do you attend to? In other words, where is your pivot? To where is your attention drawn? Are you prone to think of solutions to a problem you've been trying to solve? Do you try to plan the rest of your day, kind of go over in your mind, your schedule, figure those things out because you have a moment? Do you commune with your Heavenly Father? Where do you go? What does that say? What's important to you? What are you depending on to go well? These questions, like many others, 
Well, let me, let me mention before this. To where also, another area, to where do you, when you're having conversations with people, to where do you guide the conversation? Do you find yourself talking about what you are doing? Do you find yourself talking about what God is doing in your life, in the life of the church, what he's doing in the world? Where is your focus? Where do you guide the conversation? Where do you want it to go? And these questions, like many others, are meant to be reflective. It's not to incite you to build a practice of religious speech, fooling the hearer and the speaker alike, finding the right words to please someone. It's meant to be used in quiet and in concert with the Holy Spirit to stir up within you a greater desire for Jesus and our eternal home with him. Here's another question. When do you feel you can rest? Take a break, let your hair down, put your feet up, take a load off. Is it only when you finish the task? Is it only when you meet the deadline? Is it only when you have your surroundings cleaned up? Or when people you care about are doing well or as you wish? What's your baseline? Is it only then when things are as they should be that you can rest? What are some examples of how we depend on ourselves and how we make ourselves and our surroundings fit that? One is the stockpiling of resources. Do you want me to list them? Do you not want me to list them? The rich landowner stockpiled his grains and other goods. If you stockpile something, what is the underlying heart reason that you do so? Another way we do this is working without regular rest. The message sent here, if you're a person that does that, is that I'm on my own. Again, my success is up to me. I've got to push through, make it happen. My success is achieved by my hard work, period, end of story. That's it. That doesn't send a message that I'm dependent upon God. I may want him to kick it up a level, add something to it, but I've got to be there and I've got to make it happen. I've got to get it done. Another way, we give from our leftovers. Leftover after fully funding retirement, fully funding vacation, fully funding entertainment. We justify our habit of doing so by calling it responsibility. I've got to take care of my responsibilities and then I can do the extra stuff like giving to others. We may even believe that though the Lord loves each of his children, he loves me extra because I'm not a freeloader. Well, whoops, was I supposed to say that judgy part out loud? Where do we go from here? Where do you go from here? So what does it look like to be in dependence on the Lord? We have examples given to us in Scripture. Elijah. God said, go into hiding, and Elijah went. He didn't have a go bag, no satchel full of food to take with him. Abram. God said, leave the land of your fathers, and Abraham went, not knowing the destination to which he was being called. Neither of them questioned the Lord. 
They didn't require explanation. They didn't require assurances. Trust was already there, and that trust, when realized, became dependence. There weren't other areas or objects of dependence that kept them from depending on God, something that held them in another place, in another direction. And the outcome, of course, was all in the Lord's hands. We also see this in Mary, mother of Jesus. When she spoke to the angel that announced his coming birth, she said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Trust bearing itself out in action. And Job, in all that he said, he didn't sin against the Lord. His dependence was upon the Lord, proven by the sudden removal of all potential sources of dependence in his life. You ever had something removed from you? And Jesus gave his entire life. He showed us what it looks like. He lived in dependence upon God the Father. Quote, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus abided with the Father. He would often step away to spend time in solitude with the Father. And he made tangible verses such as Psalm 62.5, my soul Wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. As Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane to the Father that He might take away the cup that was appointed to Him to drink, I remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And he may have to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. As he asked the Father to take away the cup that he was to bear. In all your ways submit to him. And Jesus did that. If this is your will, Father, so be it. And he, God, will make your paths straight. Depend upon Him. Depend on Him for the pathway. And depend upon Him for the outcome. Now we've reached that point where this is what I call the application stage. And this is important. This is where I give you all the right answers. Why are you laughing? (laughs) I tell you exactly what it looks like. I tell you exactly what to do. And I back it up with Scripture references. And then... If you don't end up with a life filled with success and joy, it's pretty much your fault. (laughs) And that's because you stink at life, or you don't have enough faith, or you didn't pray the right words. Yeah. So, if I were to give you the right answers, assuming I knew them, at best, we'd achieve together a formulaic religion. Yep. Good job missing the point. The point here is dependence. The point here is dependence on a person. Dependence in relationship with Jesus. It's not about knowing the right answers. It's not about knowing what to do. It's about giving up knowing the right answers in what to do. 
and listening and leaning into Him. That identified, following Jesus is not supposed to be an ethereal notion. God doesn't make relationship with Him complex. However, it is complicated by our desire for independence. G.K. Chesterton said it well, I believe. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Dependence upon God. Independence of man. That's difficult. I want to highlight a few concrete areas to engage in. And again, I don't have the answers to hand to you. Please don't hear this or understand this in that way. In the area of giving, again, simply reflect and ask God where you fit with these things. Are you able to give freely as from God's resources, which are unlimited, not with a view on what you have or what you can produce? Praising, praising God. There can be a tendency, I felt this, to want a sense of peace or positive emotions to be present before engaging in worship, to feel like worshiping God. But this is at best backward. As Ryan has said, we act our way into feeling much quicker than we feel our way into acting. Praising God is a decision, an act of the will. It makes the statement that my praise of God is dependent upon His character, which does not change, not my feelings, not my circumstances. That's where I place my dependence when I praise God. And my feelings don't necessarily support that at a given time. Practicing a thankful attitude. Much like praising God, being thankful begins with a willful decisions, decision It sees beyond the circumstance at the moment. Resting. Take time for regular rest. How hard is that to do? Acknowledge and accept your limited role and God's sovereignty. You can rest when your place of rest in God is greater than your circumstances. Philippians chapter 4, 12 and 13 says, I know how to get along with little, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The words of Paul. By the way, please don't use this verse casually. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Don't misuse this verse by championing some earthly success. It's not a clarion call toward a new endeavor, earning a degree or a job promotion, winning an athletic event, grabbing the brass ring, or just about anything that a motivational speaker tells you. Please don't. Paul here is signaling his dependence upon the Lord. It's not about achievements. It is because of Jesus that he can live 
and move and breathe and do all things and be in all circumstances through Jesus who strengthens him. Jesus is not an achievement trampoline that propels you higher. He is the one you can trust. He is the one who loves you beyond words. He is the one who knows you at your deepest level. He is the one who is preparing a place for you even now. For my part, I've wanted for so long for God to be proud of me. I've wanted to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I believed for so long that the pathway leading there was one of responsibility, of hard work, of independence. It's counterintuitive to think that resting is a way to honor the Lord. It's counterintuitive to give away financial resources that might have provided security otherwise. Less work means less done, and that might result in negative consequences, right? Less money means less for me, right? It takes away from my happiness, and how could God want that? Hard to understand the ways of man. Focus. Focus on the things of God. Ask and ask Him. What is He involved in? Where is His heart today, this week, in this age? If you don't know or unsure, the best next step is simply to ask Him. And then, to listen. Listen for a response. And engage when you hear that response. Engaging here demonstrates a connection. It demonstrates dependence. It demonstrates value. Again, these are not items on a checklist. Treat these like a checklist, and all that's produced is some kind of religious observance. These are characteristics of a follower of Jesus. These are signposts pointing to a relationship. Again, it is dependency on God which is on which a strong life is built. It's countercultural and against the values of the world. And it's truth. Paul understood these things. That dependence on God is great, great gain. He says, But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all all things and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law and he did but that which is through faith in Christ Paul understood Paul understood through great difficulty remember what Jesus said about Paul He said, I will show him how much he must suffer. It wasn't sadistic. It drew Paul into great, great dependence and great, great relationship. Let's pray. Father, our ways are to pursue independence. Father, that's no surprise to you. 
Lord, we turn our hearts away from that tendency, away from that desire, away from self-sufficiency. Lord, we don't like the difficulty that often comes with a greater dependency upon you. But Lord, in that greater dependency, that greater depth of relationship, there is joy. There is goodness. There is relationship that cannot be achieved outside of relationship with you. And that is a wonderful thing indeed. Father, help us. Help us to strive toward you. Help us to strive toward dependence. Help us to lean in to the depth of relationship and joy that you have prepared for us. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.